this is this is the coolest thing I did. I think the most interesting. I went to the geospatial intelligence officers course, which is the like the satellite course mm -hmm. basically. So I got. I learned about like satellites and how to use them to collect intelligence and then got qualified to actually task satellites, to take pictures, oh. um, which is like super, you would think it's some like high tech uh, system they <laughs> My use. My mind instantly no, goes, all right, like, blink no. twice if there are aliens out there that you took pictures of. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to the podcast. This welcome. Is, this is a new everybody. podcast. It, it might've been like demon possessed. It was a fairly large, mutated-looking chicken. We were born in the north, but we grew up in the south. We learned all of our words from Pennsylvania. And people are like, that's toboggan. That little toboggan it's not there. a toboggan. Okay. Toboggan is a sled. Okay. Yo, three inches, baby. <laughs> Dude, I can't take it. Well, thank you very much for being here. Obviously, uh, it means a lot. Thanks for having yeah, me. Yeah, I, um, yeah. So, kind of jumping right into it. I mean, we take this podcast primarily to hear people's stories, creative individuals, people just with interesting experiences. And, um, and we've actually known you since I was basically, a, what is it, like seventh grade almost. Yeah. I've, I've known yeah, of young. you. I was really young. Um, and... You were in high school, and uh, and I actually joined the same Boy, Boy Scout, Scout troop yeah. that you were you were getting your yep. eagle and coming out of um, around the same time. And so, kind of from there, I've heard whispers of fascinating things that you've done and been a part of. You went to West Point. All lies. <laughs> All lies. I doubt it, but you've been to you went to West Point. Um, yep. You were in the military. I don't know a lot about your military career. Yeah. Um, we can talk about it if okay. you'd like to. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know exactly to what extent. I, I don't know. See, I know I know people have maybe been exaggerating as far as what you've done in the military. <laughs> like Probably, I've yeah. heard people say like you are on top secret missions and all different <laughs> kinds of stuff. And that is probably yeah, that not true. <laughs> <laughs> when, when you get things second or third or fourth hand, sometimes it gets a little bit uh, skewed. Yeah, probably. yeah. I don't know what you've heard, so I can't vouch for it, but uh, I, I can tell you if you're yeah, curious. Yeah, I mean, um, well, you, if you, you want to just tell us what you did in the military, and then we'll, we'll backtrack and maybe... Oh, well, let's first yeah, give an you, intro, though. Can you just give yeah, us who you are? Let's back yeah. up a little bit from there. Um, and I just told you guys, but just for everybody else listening... Yeah. Um, I have an older dog and she's in the room and she has a cough. Mm -hmm. So if you hear her hacking and coughing, she's fine. Okay. Um, but that, that's all yeah. it is. So she, she will survive. She'll live to uh, fight another day. Um, yeah. So my name is Andrew Ligon Fant. I'd gone by both my first and middle name throughout my life in different, at different times and my last name in high school, I was Fant. Um, but now I go by Ligon here at the law school and um I, I answered all three names, <laughs> but yeah, like you said, I, I met your family kind of through my, my parents and family connections. Um, and I didn't really know you guys well, but we, we've definitely, uh, crossed paths and I've talked to you before. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm originally from Rock Hill, South Carolina, basically the same area as you mm -hmm. guys. Um, little, you know, you guys probably lived what, 10, 15 minutes yeah, out or yeah. so. Um, went to Northwestern high school, graduated in 07. Um, Let's see from there. Like you said, I was in Boy Scouts. Um, I, when I was in high school, I loved backpacking, loved outdoor stuff. Wasn't big into hunting. Um, 
not because I, I dislike it, but mostly because I just, I, I just never really had the time to get into it, but otherwise like outdoor stuff, I, I loved it. Um, I knew from the time I was like 13 that I wanted to go into the military. And by the time I was like 16 or 17, I was dialed in on, I knew I wanted to go to West point. That's where I wanted to go to school. Yeah. Um, and for, for anybody who's unfamiliar, West point is, uh, the United States military Academy. So it's a university run by the army. Um, it's, it's, it's counterparts of the Naval Academy in Annapolis, the Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs. And then some people would be angry if I didn't say the, the Coast Guard Academy <laughs> and the Merchant Marine Academy. But at any rate, these are all federally run universities. Um, so I went up there in 07. Um, let's see, what did I do? So the, for the first year there is called plebeer. It's, it's a little rough. Um, you know, all the, all the hazing rituals, they, they don't call it hazing, but that's what mm-hmm. it is. I played rugby for a year. Um, I took a look around and like everybody was getting really banged up. We had like three skull fractures the year that I played. Yeah. Wow. And so I was like, you know, I should, I should, I, I loved rugby, had a good time. Um, the team was amazing, but I was like, you know, I should probably go do something more sustainable. So I joined the judo team, <laughs> which turned out to be a good idea, but also a bad idea. Yeah. I'm curious um, when you were deciding on West yeah, Point. Um, oh, yeah. What, so you, you know, from a young age, I think you said it was 14, you knew you wanted to be in the military. Yeah. So what about West Point was it that attracted you then? So it's, it's hard to pin it down to one thing, but I would say I, I applied to two schools. One was Clemson, one was West Point. Um, the biggest attraction was that I wanted to be in the army. And that was the, um, that's kind of the traditional route to become an army officer is go to the military academy. Only about a quarter of officers who commission every year come out of the academy, but it's it's the it's the traditional way to do it. Um, my, you know, I had some family connections who were West Point grads. It didn't it didn't help me at all because um, connections don't really get you anywhere unless there are some exceptions. You know, if your dad is a, a big time general in the army or something, you're you're gonna have a better chance of getting in. But really, family connections don't help too much. But what they did do is they got me interested and they kind of exposed me to it at an early age. And what I saw was, um, was a school where, where all the other schools kind of laid out the red carpet and told me everything they could do for me. West Point was more like, yeah, we're not going to do that. Um, we're going to tell you what you can do for us and we're going to make you earn it. Okay. And that was, there was something about, about that when I was young, that was really enticing. Um, I, st- I think it still is. I think people, a lot of people naturally seek challenges mm-hmm. and it seemed like, I mean, it seemed impossibly difficult. Yeah. Uh, it, it wasn't, <laughs> you know, spoiler alert. It was not impossible. It's very doable. Um, people tell me all the time, like, I don't know how you did that. I could never do that. You could. Um, it's just a matter of doing it. it. A lot of um, discipline, but, I'm guessing. Yeah. And, you know, people come into West Point from every different background um all over the country they recruit kids from everywhere from samoa to you know florida so you you get people from all different backgrounds all different cultures and uh you know families and stuff like that so not everybody comes in super disciplined Mm. but they teach you um and the, the rules are very strict i mean you know your first year there is pretty brutal um I, I can't speak to exactly what it's like right now, but when I went through in 07, um, like when, when our first year there, 
for example, the entire first year, we weren't allowed to speak outside unless spoken to. <laughs> so uh, if you're walking from say like your, your dorm, we call them barracks, but your dorm room to an academic building, you couldn't like stop and say, Hey, to your friend, Oh wow! you just had to like walk by them. Um, so that was kind of interesting. Um, you had to like march everywhere. So you had to like cup your hands and walk real fast. Um, there were all, there's rules about everything. So there's rules about where your underwear goes in your drawers, where mm -hmm. you're, you know, how you fold your sheets and how you make your bed and stuff like that. So I think it definitely, uh, taught me a lot of discipline. It also, te what, it, what it really teaches, I think, is it teaches time management. So the one thing they do there really well is, and there are pros and cons to this, but they really overload the students there with work. Um, intentionally, they, they give you more than you can do on purpose. And so like my first semester there, I had, I, I think I took 23 credit hours. And then I had, um, everybody has to play a sport. So I was playing rugby about two hours a day. Mm -hmm. So, and then you have your military duties and military training and stuff like that. It adds up to a lot. So what you end up with is a situation where you really can't do everything. Mm -hmm. um, you can't do all your homework and go to practice and do all your military duties and clean your room correctly and shine your shoes and shine your belt buckle. You can't do everything. So you end up, it really teaches you to kind of prioritize and uh, uh, manage time and also to work together. So some, in some cases, like one guy who's really good at shining shoes would shine a bunch of people's shoes and then they would do other things for him, if that makes sense. So yeah, um, yeah it, it teaches a lot of things. It teaches you to be humble. That's, that's for sure. Um, the first year was very, very humbling and you they they call it hero to zero you yeah. know they bring in all these you know hot shot kids from across the country who were captain of the football team or captain of the track team or whatever and then all of a sudden you're just nobody you're just one of one of uh you're just a number basically yeah. um to give you an example like I, so i was I was in pretty good shape when i left rock hill um i would say you were in very good shape I, compared to the people around the well, area. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so a lot of it just depends on who you're comparing yeah. to. So I was, in, I, I worked out and ran all the time trying to get ready for West Point and I get there and I'm in this unit, the unit that I'm in for my basic training, they call it beast barracks mm -hmm. was just insane. It was the track and cross country unit. So all the kids who got recruited for track and cross country were in my company, which is like a small unit. Um, so we take our first physical fitness test and I run a, I think I ran a 13 flat, 13 minute flat two mile, which okay. for a 210 pound dude, it's not too bad. That's I mean, it's, it's quick, but for the army, it's like, it's max points, but it's not nothing more. Mm -hmm. It's right at max points. I was the slowest guy in my squad <laughs> by far. Yeah. Were you the biggest um, guy in your squad? Yeah, I mean, I, I was, but I was also the slowest. And that's <laughs> yeah. when you're running, yeah. that's that's not great. Yeah. Um, you know, we had a guy, this guy, he was just so fast. Uh, his name is Alexis. And he ran a nine minute, 40 second, two mile wow. that during beast. I don't even think I could do. And that, so that was just like, when all of a sudden you're not, you're not the best at anything. Yeah. <laughs> um, and at best you're like sort of good at something. Yeah. It's, it's pretty humbling. Yeah. So yeah. it was a unique experience. And I, you know, it, it had pros and cons as the service academies do. Um, but 
I, I mean, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Yeah. It was great. Um, I have a question. So I want to go back and talk about judo that you brought that up a yeah. minute. But how does that transition, mm-hmm. like going from West Point, who's you're doing all this like stuff already being not in the military, but in a military school going into the military. Does that help you? How does that help you more than people who are just going straight into the military? Well, um, it doesn't necessarily help more. Yeah. It, it, it just kind of depends. So if you want to be an army officer, there, there are basically three ways to do okay. it. There, there's more, but basically three ways. One is to go to officer candidate school. Mm-hmm. This is the route I think most people take. Uh, it might be a toss up between that and ROTC, but one is officer candidate school. So basically you go to college, you get a degree, and then you go talk to a recruiter. They send you to the army, you go through basic training, then they send you to officer candidate school. You go through this whole officer candidate school process, and then you're an army officer. So it's it's a pretty quick way to do it. Um, and that is a completely legitimate way to become an army officer. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, I mean, you know, they get great training, um, nothing wrong with it at all. Uh, another route is the reserve officer training corps or ROTC. Mm-hmm. So if you go to like Clemson or, you know, or South Carolina or any of those, you know, any, any big school pretty much has a ROTC program. And what you do there is you're at a civilian school, but during that, you're also doing military training Okay. and you go and you do military classes and stuff like that. And when you graduate, you commission as either a reserve or active duty officer, Mm -hmm. one or the other, uh, just depends on if you get an active slot. And then the, the third way, which is like I said, it's more, it's the more traditional way, I guess. I suppose the the most traditional would just be like direct commissions where they just hand somebody a commission and say, Hey, congratulations. You're an army officer like George Washington. <laughs> um, sorry. I, I, got you're good. I, I worked out earlier, so I'm really thirsty. <laughs> um, so the more traditional way I, w- I would say is the service academies. Yeah. And when you go to West Point, I think if it does give you an advantage, it's this, it's that you're in school and everybody you're in school with for four years who you have shared experiences with and you share hardship and you build camaraderie with them, all of them are going to be in the army. Okay. And the quality control there is very high. So like most people are, are, are really good. Um, there are some people who maybe fall through the cracks and aren't so great, but um, for the most part, like on average, people are pretty good. So you're basically with a bunch of pretty good to really good people to, to, I take that back to phenomenal, incredible superhero type <laughs> people. Um, and you're going to be in the army with them. And what that kind of translates to is like, um, both when you're in the army and after you get out of the army, you have this incredible network of people mm-hmm. yeah. who you just know. So like, um, all the time when I was in the army, I'd be like, you know, Hey, I'm trying to coordinate with this unit over there. Oh, Hey, John or whoever, my buddy from West Point is their operations officer. Let me go talk to him. So I, instead of, instead of having, having to break through these, all these barriers, I'd just be like, Hey John, what's up, man. Yeah. I haven't seen you in like 10 years, but not 10 years, but you know, whatever. Um, it makes, sometimes it makes things a lot easier if you went to a service academy only because you know, a lot of the people, yeah. whereas if you go through one of the other two routes, you're only going to really be close to like, you know, um, I want to say ROTC, an ROTC class, maybe 10 to 20. 
and a, a OCS class maybe I, I don't I don't want to guess yeah. it's it's bigger yeah. than that but so they're going to have a close group of people that size whereas at a service academy you have a much larger network gotcha. um after a few years I wouldn't say like the officers view each other differently so like if I know somebody went to Clemson and did Army ROTC I wouldn't assume anything about them versus if they went to West Point but I might know them already yeah. if they went to West Point, which just makes things easier. Yeah, so that makes sense. Also, um, if you go to a service academy, you also uh, automatically are commissioned into the active army. Whereas if you go ROTC, a lot of times uh, you'll get a reserve commission, so you'll be in the reserves. So if you want to be active for sure, then the most surefire way is kind of to go to a service academy. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So that's that's West Point. I did I I think I might have missed a question about judo. Yeah, well, I was just saying I wanted to go back because I know that. Yeah, I remember when you had to take some time off uh, school I because did, of yeah. that, and you want to get into that at all? Yeah, sure. So um, I actually graduated from West Point in December of 2011. I was supposed to graduate in May of 2011, and the reason for that is that um, in let me see spring of 09 i believe yeah. it was um i was on the judo team and we're, we were competing um nationally kind of we were traveling around the country oh, wow. competing and i was kind of in over my head to be honest with you um one one thing about the west point judo team is that they they have a lot of like former wrestlers and like fairly athletic people yeah. um, and because of that they tend to do very well in judo uh, on the national stage, but the problem is like, they're not very experienced and judo is one of those sports where you can really get messed up yeah. easily. Yeah. Um, so what happened was I got, uh, let's see, I was in, I guess in spring of 09, I was in Virginia, um, at the Virginia open judo tournament and I got tossed on my head and I, I didn't get knocked out or anything like that, which is kind of strange, but I got a horrific concussion. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, to the point where I, I still don't remember any of the matches I fought there. And I fought, I think six matches. Wow. Um, but yeah, I didn't know where I was. I didn't know that I had fought six matches. So they took me to the hospital. I went up in the hospital overnight. Um, I go back to West point the next day with my team and then I'm treated, you know, they do all the standard stuff, CT scans and, um, you know, they're just screening me for concussion. Yeah. And sure enough, I had a concussion. Yeah. Uh, and so I kind of recover, I, I recovered from that over the next six months or so. Um, and they let me go back to judo and I did, <laughs> which is probably, probably a mistake, but at, what was I 21 or whatever, mm -hmm. uh, you're invincible. Yeah, yeah. So Gosh. I go back to judo and that fall, I, I got another concussion, which really was kind of the nail in the coffin for oh, a bit. Because um, if you know anything about concussions, they're kind of cumulative. Yeah, they get worse over time, like the more you get them. Yeah. Yeah, if you get multiple, they really compound, the effects compound. So I wound up going from being an AB student to being a uh, DNF student, like pretty quickly. Wait, so, um, wow, so okay. they, yeah. So it affected yeah, so your they grades sent me well. home. Yeah, I, I was really struggling. My my short term memory was just out the window. Um, I, I couldn't remember things. I couldn't keep track of schedules. Um, I was losing things all the time. I like lost my backpack. Mm -hmm. 
uh, with some textbooks in it <laughs> stuff like that. So I ended up going home, um, spent, I guess about six months or so at home, just doing nothing. And then return had actually had to go to Walter Reed army medical center in the DC area mm-hmm. several times, uh, to check in and they would do some neurological screenings and stuff like that. And finally I, I passed all the tests they were giving me and they let me back in. Um, so I, I go back in what the fall of 2010 and then I had missed a semester and a whole summer. So what I ended up having to do is um, I had to just stay an extra s- summer and then an extra semester, mm-hmm. which turned out, I mean, it, it turned out the way it turned out. It's one of those things where, you know, at the time it really seemed horrible. Um, I didn't get to graduate with my classmates, wow. which was huge, huge disappointment. Yeah. Um, all my classmates were out, uh, you know, doing great things while I was kind of stuck mm-hmm. at school. Yeah. I also, I also went through a pretty dark time there in like the, in 2011, cause I had several friends die in combat. Oh, okay. And so here they were out, not, they weren't my classmates. They were, uh, it was two of them that summer. They were both a couple, one and two years ahead of me. Um, but it just made it all the more salient that I was like stuck at West Point and I wasn't able to go out and train and, and yeah. go do what we were trained to do. Yeah. So that was, that was pretty dark. Um, and what I, one of the main things I learned from that is uh, one, how bad concussions are. Yeah. <laughs> and then two is like, you just have to trust that things are going to work out yeah. because horrible things are going to happen to you in life and you can't always control it. And the truth is you really don't know what would have happened if those things hadn't happened. So you have to, I I think you just kind of have to trust that the way things work is the way they were meant to work Mm -hmm. and different religions have different names for that. But like, whether it's fate or, you know, in Christianity, all things work together for good. Mm -hmm. And actually this is something I talked to, uh, I talked to a guy about this in my podcast last week, but um, I think it's really important that whatever faith people draw from, and I, whatever faith people draw from, it's really important to figure out how to really truly believe deep down yeah. all things really do work together for mm-hmm, good yeah. because the other option is really just despair mm-hmm. and losing hope. And that is not good for you. And it's also not good for anybody around yeah. you. Yeah. So that's kind of what I learned from it. So ultimately I think it was a positive experience. Um, in the grand scheme of things, it certainly didn't seem like that at the time. And it, it sometimes it's hard to see it that way, mm-hmm. but what else, you know, there's only other, one other way to see it yeah. and, and that's not good. Yeah. So, so, um, yeah, I guess then moving out of school, getting into the military, um, could you walk us through mm-hmm. briefly kind of like different positions you held in the military kind of what i we yeah. started with that you said you'd you'd tell us about Go back. <laughs> yeah and sorry it's it's warm in here i should probably turn the ac on but i'm not going to because it's going to get cold again um yeah so after i graduated from west point it, so i graduated in december of 2011 um i moved down to Fort Benning, Georgia in Columbus. So on the far West side of Georgia, um, on the border of Alabama. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I was initially in the armor Corps. So the armor Corps on the officer side of the house, um, an armor officer does main battle tanks mm-hmm. and then also armor reconnaissance. So main battle tanks for anybody who's not familiar are like 
you can Google Google M1A2 Abrams. That's what that's what I did. Um, so I went to the I went to the armor school at Fort Benning. Um, got qualified to lead a tank platoon or a scout platoon, and then after that I went to the Army Reconnaissance course, which was tw- it was like twenty seven days, and it was horrifically hot. It was in Ju- I think June and July um, of two thousand twelve, and it was so hot. Um, I think we start, somebody can fact check me on this, but I think we started with 53 guys in the course and something like 22, uh, had to drop out of the course because of heat injuries, wow. like heat stroke and stuff like that. It was so hot. Um, so I went to the reconnaissance course, um, where they really teach you how to, how to lead reconnaissance mm-hmm. formations, like cavalry scout, uh, platoons and stuff like that. Um, from there, I knew that I was going to a unit that was deployed to Afghanistan, and that was the uh, 27 Infantry in the 3rd Infantry Division, and that's in Savannah, Georgia. Okay. And I knew guys in that unit, and um, actually one of my good friends was, was in that unit. So I called him and said, hey, what's going on? He said, hey, we're going to Afghanistan. So um, I decided to kind of stop training there. I, I finished the reconnaissance course and I was like, um, I, I could have tried to go to more schools like airborne or something mm-hmm. like that. I was like, ah, I'm going to Afghanistan. So I moved to Savannah, Georgia. Uh, I, you know, sign in with the third infantry division and they tell me basically pack your bags. We're going to Afghanistan in three weeks. Oh, wow. So I was, what was I? 22, I guess at the time. That's crazy to was think I 22? about. I guess I was 22. Yeah. So, so in September of, I guess, early September of 2012, we flew to Afghanistan via Kyrgyzstan. So we fly to Manus, Kyrgyzstan. And then from Manus, we fly to um, Bagram Air Base in Eastern Afghanistan. And then from Bagram to Manus, which is uh, not Manus, um, Mazari Sharif, which is in Northern Afghanistan. And then I was was in Mazar Sharif for about a month, I believe, um, with the battalion headquarters there. Now, the way a battalion works is a battalion is led by a lieutenant colonel. And then inside a battalion, you have multiple companies, and each company is led by a captain. Okay. And then in each company, you have generally three platoons, three or four platoons, depending on what kind of company it is. And each platoon is led by a lieutenant, um, which is what I was. I was a second lieutenant, okay. brand new, just green very <laughs> fresh uh in fact i was the only i never saw another second lieutenant in afghanistan wow really um, so so there i was and i was the only lieutenant in the battalion who was waiting to be a platoon leader mm. um so basically I, I was there in case a platoon leader got fired or if somebody uh got injured or killed so um <clears throat> pretty soon into the deployment uh, my boss called me and was like, Hey, uh, we need you to replace a platoon leader. He did. He wasn't injured or killed. So, um, we need you to replace a platoon leader down in Southwest Afghanistan. So I was like, okay, got it. So I packed up my bags and flew down to Helmand province, which is, uh, it's the Marine Corps area of operations mm-hmm. down there. And it was hot mm-hmm. both temperature wise and, uh, enemy wise. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was definitely the, it was the hottest area in Afghanistan as far as enemy activity yeah. went. Um, and then in the summer, it was about 100 and 
and it was like 120 degrees every Holy day. Cow. Is it, it in the is it humid in the desert out there, or is it no, no, just no. Very, very, dry. Dry. very dry? Very dry. Very dry. Okay. Yeah, real dry and real hot. If you ask Andy Woods, yeah, uh, he knows. We we operate in the exact same area. I don't think we were there at the same time, uh, if I'm not mistaken. But um, we operate in the same areas. Um. So I go down there and I take over a platoon in Afghanistan and the, the platoon's job was, it was really convoluted. So I'm not going to try to make it too, too complicated. It doesn't really matter, but basically our job was to provide, to provide, um, convoy security yeah. for a supply convoy that would resupply special, special operations outposts. Okay. Gotcha. Which, um, which is a very dangerous job. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, one of the more dangerous jobs in a counterinsurgency war like that is being on the roads. If you have to be on the roads, it's, it's, it's not good because that's where you get improvised explosive devices, you get ambushes, you get all, all sorts of stuff. So, so we did that for, um, I guess I did that for my platoon did that for nine months. I was down there for like seven and a half or eight months or something like that. Um, and it, it, yeah, it was wild. I mean, it was it, the, the interesting thing about doing something like that is it's hard to even describe because it's like a different world kind yeah, of. It sounds like it. Um, yeah. It was kind of like going to Mars. <laughs> yeah. Sort of. um, Mars at war. We worked with, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We worked with, um, you know, a SEAL team, an army special forces team, and then a handful of Marine special operations teams. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes it was great working with them. Sometimes it was horrible. Uh, sometimes I worked directly for the Marine Corps, which sometimes was great. Sometimes it was horrible. Yeah. Just depended on the day. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, so we were, we were there for a while. And, you know, thank God we didn't lose any soldiers. Awesome. Um, my entire company didn't have any didn't even have a single wounded in action. Um, it's not for lack of trying. I mean, we, we had one, so I'll give you an idea. One squad. Now this squad was in a really, really hot area, but they, I believe they, and, uh, Timbo can correct me on this if you want, but I believe they were in 393 firefights in nine months. What? So you can do the math on that, but it's nine months. It's 365 days in a year. That's m- yeah. many every day. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's more than an average of one a day. Wow. Yeah, um, and somehow we we didn't we didn't lose anybody. Um, we one guy unfortunately did pass away due, due to an accident, but not not due to combat. We didn't lose anybody to combat. We didn't really have any significant injuries. So we were uh, definitely felt like I had a guardian angel there with me. Did that? Do you but, think? Um, um, do you think that might be because of the skill and the training that was involved or was it, or did it feel in the moment kind of like just luck, you know? <laughs> well, I, I think it was a combination of things. Um, one is that my platoon was very well trained. Yeah. So like they had done a lot of training before they deployed and I can't take credit for that cause I wasn't the yeah, platoon leader. Yeah. Um, but the, the platoon leader before me and the platoon sergeant who is there, the platoon sergeant is the senior enlisted guy in the platoon. And normally it's kind of a weird dynamic cause the platoon leader is like a 22 year old Lieutenant <laughs> and the platoon sergeant is typically, I don't know, let's see, let's call it 33, 34 that is an odd dynamic and has been in the military for 15 years or yeah. so. It, 
that that can vary but uh that's a that's a good estimate so you have this like old guy <laughs> who's been around forever who works for this really young yeah. guy um but it, it works out if people kind of play their part mm-hmm. it works out fine but the uh, platoon sergeant there was he was like he was a tank commander in the invasion of iraq like he had been around the block a time wow. or two so he was really good um and then the soldiers were just really good um like some of them were were just you know hotheads and stuff like that and <laughs> not fun to not fun to be in charge of but they were good people yeah. um they know they know who they are yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, i i we had this one guy and he said he told me he said lt you won't like me back in garrison which means back in like the the u.s because yeah. he was really good in combat but he wasn't wasn't a good soldier <laughs> yeah. back in the states so yeah. you know some of them get a some of them aren't aren't necessarily the people you would think would be like super soldiers and yeah. not necessarily the people you would think would be even good soldiers but but they were they were good yeah. so um they were great at just like i think that the main thing there was just doing like the routine little mundane things well Mm -hmm. they did that um and then having a plan for when something goes wrong and they did that so i i won't take credit for it um you know some of it does come down to judgment there were a couple times when you do have to make judgment calls and i think that made a big difference but um but overall i mean it really had it had very little to do with me Mm -hmm. it had to do with the fact that all these guys were well-trained yeah. and they were, you know, they had, they had a lot of experience. Um, That's awesome. So, and they were also like, some of these guys are just so cool under pressure. It's incredible. Some of them are not, <laughs> but some of them absolutely freak out. Yeah. And then, you know, the, the stress is, it, it's hard to even explain the stress, but the stress of driving on those roads three, four days a week for, you know, that long is really intense. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's hard doing especially it. Especially because like. It seems like it'd be hard doing it once, and the, but you're doing it all the time. Well, it's really, so the first time you do it is really, it's uniquely terrifying. Yeah. Um, but then it, it becomes routine and it's less scary. I suppose the second, third, fourth, 15th, 30th time you do it. But what doesn't go away is like this kind of background stress of just like mm-hmm. always kind of being tense. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like the first, the first mission I went on, the very first mission I went on and it was with the guy I was replacing the truck in front of us hit a improvised explosive device, oh, so IED. Yeah. And it, I mean, it, it looks, it looks a lot worse than it is because there was so much dust. Mm-hmm. We're in the desert. So we're out, we're out in the desert and the desert in Afghanistan is not like the beach. Yeah. So like at the, at the beach, the sand is like real coarse, mm-hmm. you know, it's mm-hmm. like, uh, it's like tiny pebbles. Ooh, lightning thunder. Um, the sand there is very different. I always described it as like baby powder. Oh yeah. It's like, yeah. it's like a talcum powder consistency. Yeah. So when you have an explosion, it throws this dust, like even a, even a relatively small explosion will throw dust like two, 300 feet in the air yeah. and kind of like mushrooms. So it looks like they just got hit by a nuke. Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, and I thought it scared me so bad um, as it would, I think anybody, but you know, I thought these guys were going to be evaporated, but they were fine. Yeah. They, they, they survived. Um, wow. 
yeah, it was wild. It, it was, it was a really unique experience. And, um, I still actually keep up with a lot of those soldiers, mm-hmm. uh, get messages from them. I don't know, every, every couple of weeks probably. And then every, maybe once a month, one will call me. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them still, you know, still have some demons that they struggle yeah. with, which, which I can sympathize with. Yeah. Um, in fact, one, just one of my old soldiers just messaged me on, on Facebook. I just haven't read it yet, but I will. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a unique experience. I think, uh, a lot of guys who experience that and then come back to kind of the mundane modern existence, mm-hmm. they end up missing it, which is, it's hard to explain to people. Mm-hmm. Um, and for a lot of them, it's hard for them to wrap their heads around, but they, they do actually end up missing it, which is kind of, kind of odd. Yeah. It, I guess I'm not going to try to guess, but do you think it has anything to do with adrenaline or brotherhood or what is it wrapped yeah, it, around? It, it so both of those i think are are right on the money so i think it's both adrenaline and uh there's a guy named sebastian younger he wrote the perfect storm i don't know if you ever saw the movie he was a he was a uh basically a conflict journalist his entire life and he spent like 17 years of his life in combat i think i could be i could be off on that he spent a long many years of his life in combat um and he wrote a book that he shot a, a documentary with a guy named Tim Hetherington, who was later killed in Libya called Restrepo, R-E-S-T-R-E-P-O. Mm-hmm. And it's a phenomenal documentary about a company, uh, inf- a light infantry company in the Korangal Valley of Afghanistan. And in that documentary, you can kind of see the raw brotherhood those guys have. Okay. Um, and these guys are living like in the boonies for their entire deployment. Yeah. And all they have to do is play cards and, you know, snap each other with towels and <laughs> yeah. wrestle. And it, they kind of revert back to this kind of tribal yeah. um, nature that humans really have that we've had suppressed our entire yeah. lives. So af- after that experience, um, let's see, he wrote a book called, I think the book is called, is it, I might have it on my bookshelf. I can't, I, I probably gave it away. I think it's called war or something like mm, that. Okay. Um, but basically the book that goes with the documentary Restrepo. And then he wrote a book called tribe, Okay. which I I'm looking on my bookshelf, but I, I think, uh, I give away most of my books. So <laughs> I, I don't have many of them anymore, but, right. um, he wrote a book called tribe mm-hmm. And that book explores like why PTSD has risen so much in the last say half century. Mm -hmm. Um, And his, his hypothesis, I don't know if he's right. I think he probably is, is that people experience this, this tribal um, brotherhood, like kind of like you alluded to, because they're in this, they're in this situation that we're kind of wired for granted. It's a much more high tech situation than maybe we're wired for, but you find yourself in a situation where you're in a small band of like kind of bandits yeah, yeah. and you're out there and you're trying to, you have kind of this vague mission. Sure. Mm-hmm. But ultimately you have an enemy mm-hmm. and you are each trying to keep each other alive from that enemy. Yeah. Um, and it really does. I mean, all of the politics and all that stuff kind of goes out the window when you're there. Yeah. Um, it really, you know, it really boils down to, I have a job yeah. and I have a thing I need to do. Mm-hmm. 
And if this guy's going to get in my way, we're going to duke it mm-hmm. out and all these guys are going to have my back. Yeah. And that's pretty addictive because guys come back to the, you know, the real world, if you will, if you want to call this the real world. Um, and they feel alone. They feel like nobody has their back. Yeah. They feel like a lot of, you'll hear soldiers say a lot of times, you know, I wish I could just go back to Afghanistan mm-hmm. or I wish I could just go back to Iraq. Things are simpler. You know, somebody gives them food. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have to go grocery shopping. They have a, they have a job, they have their friends mm-hmm. and it, it's that simple. Yeah, so yeah. I think that's why that's the main reason I think guys miss it. <clears throat> I think there's also something about the adrenaline as well. Yeah. I've, I think that's a much smaller part of it, mm-hmm. but I do think that uh, some guys get kind of addicted to the adrenaline. Yeah, yeah. that's fascinating. Where did you, uh, so you're talking about being in like Afghanistan and stuff, and then at the beginning of the podcast, you talk about living in Hawaii. How did you go from there yeah. to Hawaii? Okay, so I was stationed at Fort Stewart, Georgia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, That's near Savannah. So we deployed from Savannah to Afghanistan. Okay. So when we came back from Afghanistan, I was still at Fort Stewart in that same unit for another like two, two more years, yeah, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and from there we went to, we did some training stuff and I was, I was, a, so I was a tank platoon leader technically when I was in Afghanistan, but we didn't have tanks. And then, excuse me, um, I, I, they moved me over to what's called the battalion scout platoon, mm-hmm. which is like the reconnaissance. It's a small reconnaissance unit for the battalion. Uh, so I was a scout platoon leader for about a year. And then I move up and I'm, um, I was helping out in the operations section. So helping write orders and plan and stuff like that. And we got orders, we got orders to go to Eastern Europe. So we go over to Latvia, Estonia, Lithuania, um, this is right after Russia invaded Crimea. Mm-hmm. So president Obama wanted tanks on the Russian border. Yeah. So we're sitting over there doing training, shooting, you know, shooting tank rounds. And mm-hmm. it was a good time. And then we're there for about six months and we come back and then I, I made a switch to military intelligence. Mm-hmm. So I went from the armor core to the military intelligence core. And this is where all the conspiracy um, theories about you come in. <laughs> <laughs> They're all lies. <laughs> all lies. All lies. There's nothing um, secret about that that you like can't share. Like if I know there's like one thing no. that you have a secret <laughs> of that you can't share makes it so much more <laughs> intriguing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure it would. And And so here's where it gets kind of weird. So... A lot. I don't want to talk about bad about my fellow veterans. Mm. <laughs> However, a lot of people will try to make their careers sound more interesting than they really yeah. were. Um, because I think a lot of guys don't realize that, you know, it's your story. You just got to tell your story. Like everybody's story is interesting, which is part of the reason I started my podcast, yeah, for example. Absolutely. Um, it's kind of the same reason you guys are doing it just to hear because it, like, this seems incredibly boring to me. I, I'm sure there's somebody, a theoretical person out there that might find this. I promise a lot of people are going to enjoy this one. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, but, but to me, it seems boring. Yeah. So I think a lot of guys get out of the military and they're like, you know, they went into the military thinking they were going to be like, you know, special operations and SEAL Team 6 and mm-hmm. Delta Force and all this stuff. And then they were just an infantryman and they just went to Afghanistan twice yeah. and they just... You know, they were just in combat 30 times and they, they didn't do anything compared to the people they know. They didn't do anything important. 
and I, I am not talking about anybody in particular right now. I promise. Yeah, yeah. So if this sounds like you, <laughs> you need to deal with your own demons. I'm not talking about you. Um, and I think a lot of them, a lot of people fall into the temptation to make their career sound like it was more than it was. And so they'll say, Oh, well, you know, I can't, I, I would tell you, but I can't cause that, that was top secret. Mm. And that's, <laughs> it's not true. Most of the time, probably the reality is, if that were true, they just wouldn't tell you that. Yeah. yeah. That's they, they wouldn't tell you that in the first see, place. See, that's like if you start thinking about it, you're like, well, why yeah. would they even tell me they have a secret? Yeah. <laughs> now, like, there are things that I, w- I won't tell mm-hmm. you, but I'm not going to say, oh, yeah, and then I did this, but I can't tell you. Yeah. That's top secret. That's just, that's not how it works. So, <laughs> so there are um, secrets. <laughs> So I switched over to military intelligence and the military intelligence corps job is basically to basically to, to be the, the knowledge base on the mm-hmm. enemy, whatever the enemy means in a given situation. Um, and a military intelligence officer's job, typically depending on what your specific job is, uh, when we work for a commander, our job is to help the commander understand the enemy and the environment. So everything from terrain to weather to, um, the enemy and how the enemy is affected by the terrain and the weather and what the enemy is likely to do and how we can use, you know, drones and satellites mm-hmm. and stuff to figure out what the enemy is doing and all this stuff. That's basically what an intelligence officer gotcha. does. So I went to Fort Huachuca, Arizona. Um, I had to go through some training mm-hmm. for that. So I went to Fort Huachuca, Arizona, did about six months, seven, eight months worth of training in, in Fort Huachuca, mm-hmm. which is out in the middle of nowhere. I loved it. Yeah. It's phenomenal. If you ever get a chance to go to Arizona okay. and do it. Um, I bought, you know, I bought a dirt bike. I, I could see Mexico from my house. Wow. No kidding. That's not a lot. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, we were, we were 10 miles as the crow flies from the border wall. <laughs> and you could see, I could see the border. If I look south from my house, I could see down the valley, see the border wow. wall and then see in the Mexico. It's amazing. <laughs> um, you ever seen the movie tombstone? No, no, I've heard of it actually, but I haven't seen it. I don't think. Add it to your okay. list. Add it to your All list. Right. It's a phenomenal movie, and that Tombstone is is where the gunfight at the OK Corral happened. Okay. That's about ten minutes from Fort Huachuca. Fort Huachuca is an old Indian Wars outpost. Okay. Anyways, all that to say. I go to Fort Huachuca. I go through the a transition course to you know transition me from a knuckle dragging armor officer into a bow tie wearing intelligence officer. <laughs> Not really. Um, and then I, I go through the captain's career course, which is a course for <clears throat> captains mm-hmm. to, it's in the name. So I was, I was a new captain, um, go through, go through the military intelligence career course. And then that's my dog <laughs> making noise. She's getting bored. She's right. um, and then I go through, the, this was, this is the coolest thing I did. I think my, the most interesting, I went to the geospatial intelligence officers course, which is the, like the satellite course mm-hmm. basically. So I got, I learned about like satellites and how to use them to collect intelligence and then got qualified to actually task satellites, to take pictures, oh. um, which is like super, you would think it's some like high tech, uh, system they <laughs> My use. mind instantly so, goes, all right, like, blink no. twice if there are aliens out there that you took pictures of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, we're talking like the software they use to task these satellites is like 1995 technology. Oh, it's brutal. Oh, yeah. really? But it's, but it's fascinating. Yeah. 
Um, and in fact, when I went through that course, we took our class picture with a satellite, mm, That's cool. which is pretty neat. Yeah. So we all, we, we tasked a satellite and then we all went and stood outside <laughs> and took so a picture it, and we downloaded okay, it. Okay. So compared to like Google earth, is it a lot higher quality? I'm guessing like you zoom in farther. That, that I can't tell you. Oh, oh. I tapped into something. Can, I'm sorry. You can, <laughs> you can probably use your imagination though. Okay. okay. All right. Yeah. You can, you could probably find that on Wikipedia if you were gotcha. to look. I just, I, th that's the kind of stuff I, I actually, All right, I won't ask I any more detailed questions about technology. <laughs> no, feel, feel free to there. There are some things though, like in the Intel world that actually are, they actually are classified. Gotcha. I got you. It's not that it's that interesting to be honest with you. It's just like, especially when you, you get into like data mm -hmm. like that, like numbers, technical data on equipment, mm -hmm. uh, starts to get, it starts to become classified pretty yeah, quickly. Yeah. I um, understand. Because the military wants to protect uh, its, its mainly its methods. So the way the way classification works is it, they mainly classify um, what do they call it methods, means, and methods. Well, I'm already forgetting the terminology, <laughs> but basically the ways they 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 collect intelligence are what they want to protect. Because gotcha, gotcha. if the bad guys know how we collect I intelligence, gotcha. then they can counteract yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, that makes so, sense. Um, so from there, I went, believe it or not, I didn't want to go to Hawaii. Oh, really? I wanted to go to, uh, so my same friend who is, who went, who I went to Afghanistan mm -hmm. with, um, he was at Fort Bragg, North Carolina in the 82nd Airborne, mm -hmm. and they were going to Iraq. Really? And so I was like, you wanted to, I'm going okay, with you. Okay. You wanted to go there instead of yeah, Hawaii. So I, I wanted to go as his, I wanted to go as his intelligence officer. Okay. So I begged, I begged and pleaded with my branch manager and she said, uh, no, mm. you're going to Hawaii. And I was like, okay, I'll go to Hawaii. <laughs> so I went out to Hawaii and, um, let me see. First I worked at like a strategic intelligence unit mm -hmm. and we collected our main job was to, uh, collect information about a certain country west of hawaii okay that you can probably yeah. imagine what country yeah. that is big country <laughs> uh, so that was our main focus yeah. and that was pretty cool <laughs> she's all right. getting bored <laughs> she's again. all right um so that so i did that for two years yeah. and then i i switched and went down to a uh, aviation unit mm -hmm. and did what i really wanted to do and that was tactical level intel so i worked for an aviation unit first a brigade which had like apaches they had a black hawk squadron they had a mixed squadron um and then i went and i worked for the apache squadron and did all did, we traveled and we went to california and stuff like that and it was super cool and our, our pilots were in the la times because they flew by the hollywood sign <laughs> so it was kind of neat um but yeah so i worked for two six cavalry out there in hawaii for a year and it was the best job i had in the army i loved mm -hmm. it the people were amazing yeah. um the cool thing about army aviation is that uh like everybody in your unit they're all they're all what's called warrant officers for the most part so you have um all the pilots are these warrant officers so they're not enlisted but they're not like lieutenants and captains and majors yeah. they're these like middle it's this middle yeah. rank but they're super chill they just want to fly <laughs> they're a lot of fun they're very easy to get along with and they don't cause a lot of trouble yeah. so that was a lot of fun had a good time out there and i picked up you know i i picked up so many hobbies over the yeah. years 
I know um, uh, in Hawaii, I started. I, 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 would, I saw some of your stuff when you were in Hawaii. You were getting into photography, taking like landscape stuff. Yeah. And that was always interesting to look at yeah. your photos. Yeah, I really. So I started kind of dabbling in photography in Arizona. Yeah. Um, and I, I started, I got a GoPro in Arizona. Yeah. I was like, yeah, if I, well, I'm riding dirt bikes. So I put this on my helmet. I can take video. <laughs> And so I started doing that and that was fun. And of course, the way that goes is you're like, oh, well, I need the, the next better model. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait. Oh, there's another. And oh, you know what? I'm just going to get a DSLR. <laughs> oh, I need. And, and you end up and you uh, once you realize the limitations of your your cheaper mm-hmm. gear, which GoPros are awesome. Yeah. I don't want to cast aspersions on mm-hmm. GoPros. But once you realize the limitations, you're like, oh, I kind of need this other thing. And oh, I need a better tripod. And you, you start and all this next thing you know, you're, you have like all these filters and big <laughs> lenses. And so, yeah, I got into, I, I love photography now. I got it. I haven't done it in a while because yeah. I'm in law school, mm-hmm. which I guess we haven't talked about yet. But um, yeah, I got into, let me see. I mostly did landscape but I also did some other things. Like I did, I shot a few weddings, yeah, yeah. which I actually kind of enjoyed. Um, but I, I would, I think I would have enjoyed a lot more if I had a partner to mm-hmm. shoot with, like uh, you know, somebody else who, who can help yeah, me yeah. out or I can help Second them. Shooter. That'd be a lot more fun. Do you guys shoot? Yeah, I, I shoot, shoot some photography. Um, I've never done it for like jobs and stuff like weddings. He does I've wedding videography, but stuff. he doesn't do, we don't do photos oh, as much. Yeah, 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 I think good. I've done like, 12 or 13 wedding videos, things of that nature. Oh, so wow. It's not that many when it's actually people who do it full time, but I, I do it like a freelance. I usually have like two or three a year. Um, but yeah, I've, I'm familiar. Uh, personally, when it comes to video, I like more of the one man crew kind of thing because it lets me kind of stay in the shadows a lot. Whereas the photographer has to be tasked with all of these specific pictures you have to get with the family and all mm. that other stuff. And so I like video better. It keeps you in the shadows a little more and you can just capture the day. Yeah. And the problem I, I found is like, if you're one person, you're trying to manage the camera. Mm-hmm. You're also trying to keep track of all the shots, make sure you get all the shots and you're managing the lighting yeah. and like all this stuff. And it, it, beca- it gets to be a yeah. lot. Um, but I would have preferred, I, I think I would get back into it someday if I have somebody to yeah. shoot with, probably not going to do it solo again. It's just <laughs> not, it's not worth, it's too much stress, yeah. honestly. Also, like there are a couple of times when you have to get the shot, yeah. like the kiss, yeah. for example. And if you've got two shooters, you can both mm-hmm. shoot. And then if one person, oh, missed focus or something like that, but if it's just one person, you're just shooting on burst and hoping. Does that make you nervous? It's, it's so yeah, all of the things you've done, that makes you nervous. Well, of course. Yeah. <laughs> have you dealt with brides? I have. I have. I'd rather I have. Deal with the Taliban than a bride. I have, and that has caused me to have a four camera setup during the ceremony. <laughs> oh, oh, that's yeah, that's smart. <laughs> I've, but I, because I, I do video, so I can just put mm-hmm. it on a tripod and hit record. I have Joshua yeah. sometimes there to monitor one or two of the yeah. cameras. But I have, and brides are not fun when you mess up. <laughs> So, yeah, let me just, ba- I, I just realized what I said. I meant to say I'd rather deal with the Taliban than an angry bride. <laughs> I think I said then a bride. That is not what I meant. Please nobody twist my words. You know I know what, what I you mean, man. But that's, that's crazy, dude. <laughs> that's funny. Um, what else? Yeah, more recently. So after. Uh, you got um, really good at photography, well, by the way. 
Like you've gotten really good. Oh, thank I, you. I really enjoyed following your Instagram and stuff of all the beautiful landscapes. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Yeah. Um, I appreciate that. I, I also got into a little bit of like underwater. Mm -hmm. yeah, I saw that. Uh, I would, I would free dive. So I would just, I started by just taking a GoPro. Mm -hmm. And then, like I said, you're like, Oh, I could really get more detail in the shadows. If I got an underwater <laughs> housing for my DSLR. Yeah, yeah. And then you eventually you convince yourself like to buy the underwater housing <laughs> and then you do that. And, and then so you're like, I need, that's what I ended up doing. Freaking 120 frames per second at 4k so i could see the bubbles man i can see the bubbles in slow <laughs> yeah, I motion i never i never went with the whole light <laughs> setups and everything underwater but I, I did some underwater photography mostly of dolphins oh, uh, i would go out on the west side of oahu that's i lived on oahu wow. which is the the main island i think that's, uh, it's the most yeah, populated yeah. island that's where honolulu mm -hmm. and pearl harbor mm -hmm. are um so that's where i lived out on the west side there is I would go out there all the time and do some free diving and a little bit of spear fishing and um, photography and stuff like that. But, but then, yeah, while I was out in Hawaii, I realized my time in the army was coming to an end and I had to figure out something else mm -hmm. to do. So um, for a variety of reasons, I just, I didn't want to stay in the army. Yeah. Yeah. Um, reasons that I, 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 I won't get too much into it, but basically the army was going in one direction mm -hmm. and in my opinion it's unless you're like top brass mm -hmm. you either get on the train or you get off gotcha. the train one or the mm -hmm. other um if you're like in a position where you can actually impact things like you're you're some top brass maybe it's different but as a captain i'm a i'm a cog in the machine mm -hmm. so i got off the train um and i went to law school yeah so um, now I'm at university of Georgia mm -hmm. school of law and I'm a, I'm a first year, which is crazy. Uh, I'm, I'm actually not the oldest guy in my class. <laughs> a lot of people warn me about that. I'm really? not the oldest guy. I'm a little, I'm older than average, but not, not too much. Um, you... yeah, but since I've been here, I've started podcasting, yeah. which is awesome. I really like yeah, that. Yeah. I only do audio though. I don't do the whole video. A lot thing. of people don't. The thing is yours, yeah. yours. I've listened to, I think three episodes of your podcast. It's called made to be broken. Yeah. Um, yeah, made to be broken. And it's really good information. It's very heavily on what, what's your little tag as far as like describing in a sentence? It's has to do, yeah. It's exploring the human side of law school and the law. Yeah. Yeah. And that's an interesting yeah. title. Yeah. So ult ultimately, the idea with, with my podcast, what I'd like to do, and I, I didn't mean no, to cut ahead. you off, but what I'd like to do with that eventually is I'd like to for it to be a place where I can talk about legal issues mm -hmm. of the day with people with like experts with professors and lawyers and my my friends who are lawyers um the thing is right now i'm not a mm -hmm. lawyer i'm a first year law yeah. student and i'm so i i very much stay away from like legal yeah. issues i don't want to talk about the law because even if i do understand mm -hmm. it um the perception of a first year law student talking about the law <laughs> is not great and people i don't think people would react to that yeah, very well yeah i understand so right now we mostly focus on like what's law school like who are these people who go to law yeah. school um what are they really like who are you know what, what's their background what are their struggles what are their what are they like what do they dislike yeah. stuff like it's that. fascinating so. and it's a great time to do it too i mean starting a podcast about law and uh interesting subjects around that yeah. it's great to do it like you know enter into it in your first year being humble about it getting dipping your toes in growing an audience and then by time you're actually done your lawyer are you planning on being a lawyer 
I guess. That's, that's the, the plan. That's plan. Yeah. We'll see if I pass law school. <laughs> I have a feeling. I mean, you've done a lot of stuff. Uh, I, I, I have no doubt. But once you're a lawyer, then you've already got yourself established, not only yeah. as education-wise and experience, but also... Maybe a following maybe for your a pod, following too. podcast. Maybe a lot of people you can help. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's one of those things where... I, I feel like everybody thinks I, I, I never pl- intend for that to be like my mm-hmm. job. I'm not going to be a podcaster. I want to be an attorney, Absolutely. but I think it's important to have um, outlets to talk yeah. about things. And I, you know, I, I know that a lot of people get stuck in the mindset of like, Oh, I need, I need 200,000 followers to be, to be big yeah. or whatever. And I, I don't see it that way at mm-hmm. all. Um, you know, I, I get, I get a few listens on my podcasts mm-hmm. every, every week. Um, and it, it varies, you know, sometimes it's like hundreds. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's sometimes are it's you, less. Just, are you on more. Spotify? Is that where we, where people can find you? Yeah. We're, uh, we're on Spotify, Apple okay. podcast. Um, I think it's like seven different platforms. We, I distribute through. Anchor, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they distribute it all for me. I don't, I don't deal with yeah, that. Yeah. Um, but, but the bottom line is like, even if it's only, even if I only had 20 people listening, I mean, that's 20 people. Yeah, like that's, I think that's interesting. And I, I get feedback from people, send me emails, people shoot me Instagram messages. I think it's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoy listening to podcasts, especially long form ones, because I have to do chores. <laughs> I have to, you know, listen to something while I'm trying to fall asleep, yeah. which is, isn't probably good sleep hygiene, but. <laughs> I mean, I um, don't know. I do the same thing though. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I'm cutting the grass. If I'm driving, I'm always like listening to a podcast and I love just like hearing people talk about their experience with something, mm-hmm. especially if it's something I'm not that familiar mm-hmm. with. Um, it's interesting. Yeah. So that's what I'm doing. Um, the plan is to work in Atlanta, mm-hmm. uh, once I graduate, probably, mm-hmm. I mean, this, this could all change, but I think I'm going to do commercial litigation down in Atlanta, but I also, I'm also interested in like second amendment litigation. Okay as well as um criminal defense that's fascinating i'll probably do that pro like pro bono on the yeah, side yeah um but yeah that's that's the plan that's fascinating. so what a crazy story what did i what <laughs> yeah I mean, it's, <laughs> I mean you covered a lot it doesn't seem crazy to me it's no just it's life, crazy but... man i mean it's it's a good crazy it's it's incredible all the things yeah. you've done i'm curious um how much what, what time are we at I think we're almost at an hour. I'm I'm good for about ten okay, more minutes. Okay, gotcha. You I just have a couple more questions. Do you have some? You have a question that's been yeah, in it. your mind at all? Um, no. I just I like how you emphasized like you you don't think your life is very interesting, but um, I mean everybody has a story to tell. Everybody's interesting. Yeah, and I think uh, I think you're yeah, particularly exactly interesting. Right. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Um. Okay, so real quick. What is it that you hope out of your podcast um, people, what would you like to see if you were to help one person with your podcast, what is your hopes for that person to be able to be helped? Like maybe specifically or just in general, what is it that you hope for the main goal of your podcast? Man, that's that's a really good question. I, I don't think I've thought about it, but one of the main reasons i started my let me let me talk this through a little bit i might find an answer to your question um one of the main reasons i started my podcast was one i like podcasts two i'd always kind of wanted to start Mm -hmm. one but i just never had because i never really had anything to say or never thought i did um 
so coming into school with COVID, um, I was terrified that I wasn't going to meet and like get to know my classmates because the only time I see them, I see them like every other day and we're all distanced and we have masks on and stuff. And I knew that I was coming in, coming to school. George is a good law school. So you get people from literally all over the country, mostly, mostly like East coast ish, Mm -hmm. but I mean, not even like we've got guys from university of Michigan, Ohio state, um, Columbia, Princeton, like uh, all the way, it kind of spans the Eastern half of the U S at any rate, you've got all these fascinating people with interesting stories. Mm -hmm. And like, we were kind of saying, they probably might not even think they're interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Um, one of, one of the guys I interviewed recently said to me, like, he was like, I don't, I don't really think it like I, so I was talking to him for like an hour, almost an hour. And I was like super fascinated by what he was saying. And we get done. He's like, He's like, yeah, I'm sorry if that didn't go well. Like, I don't know if anybody's <laughs> going to want to listen to that. And the, I guess the one thing that I would like people to know right now is that that I, I'm not trying to like boost anybody's ego, but like you are interesting in your own mm-hmm. way. Everybody is. And to extrapolate from that, everybody else is interesting. Mm-hmm. And ev- you can learn something from everybody you mm-hmm. meet. Yeah. Um, whether it's good, bad, or, or, or indifferent, you can learn something probably good. Mm-hmm. I don't care how bad of a person you might think they are, or they seem to be, you can learn something for everybody you meet. Cause that person is interesting. They're unique. They're an individual. They have a backstory. They're a complex being. Um, and I think if we could, I think, especially in nowadays, when a lot of our interactions with people are very shallow, yeah. um, it's easy to see people as kind of this 2d caricature of themselves. Mm, yeah. Cause all we see is what they post on social media yeah. or something like that. Um, and I think if we could all just like take a step back and see people as people as like complex and interesting and valuable, I think we'd all be better off. So, so for right now, I think if people can take one thing away from that, from my podcast, that's what it would be. That's great. Um, and yeah, and I guess uh, I guess we got a golden opportunity then because yeah. you're interviewing people for your pa- podcast to uh, you know show that people are interesting. So someone's got to someone's got to interview you. you. So <laughs> we did that today. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I didn't even ask. You to <laughs> no, I just I'm yeah, looking it, for people. What, what's What's funny about that is like. Wh- I understand the reaction of like I don't have anything interesting to say because when you messaged me, I was like. I mean, I get, you can interview me, but like, all I can tell you about is like what I, like my <laughs> yeah. life. It's not, I, I haven't, I really haven't done any crazy spy stuff like, you know, undercover <laughs> sneaking into some other country. I have not done mm. that. Um, and if I did, I wouldn't tell you, but I really haven't. So, um, that's what he wants us to believe. To me, it's like, ah <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is the catch point too yeah um but yeah yeah it's been it's it's been really good talking to you guys absolutely um, yeah i wish i could no i i, I feel selfish because i was just like no no no, no hours, that's but, no that's what uh, you're here to that's do you that's on, why you're so here and you're that, you do have yeah, an interesting well, that's story why I, did it. I wish i could ask you guys more no, questions no though. this is um, our podcast so we ask the questions <laughs> Um, also, so do you want to plug your podcast one more time? Plug your podcast and any socials Um, you want people to follow you at. 
Sure. Um, my podcast is made to be broken and it's on, uh, Apple podcast. It's on Spotify. Mm -hmm. It's on whatever podcast app you use is probably on mm -hmm. there. So go check that out and, uh, leave us a five-star rating. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, if you want to send me a message on the only, the only real social media I use anymore, and I don't really even use that hardly is Instagram. Mm -hmm. If you want to send me a message on there, it's andrew.l or I'm sorry, andrew.ligon, that's L-I-G-O-N dot fant, F-A-N-T. And that's all the social media I can all think right. of. Very cool. Yeah. Um, could I ask you one more question before we bounce? Sure. Because we, we do talk a lot about geeky topics and film stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I'm interested to hear your perspective. What, do you watch okay. war movies at all? Do I watch what? War movies? War? War movies. Yeah. What is the... I, I couldn't tell if you were saying war or horror. <laughs> Sorry, Sorry. Uh, battle, yeah. war. Because I do not really watch horror movies, but I do watch <laughs> yeah. war movies, yes. What is yeah. the most, from your experience, realistic one? Because this is a debate we've had once or twice on this podcast. Oh, man. Okay, let me, let me rephrase it. Maybe <laughs> this might jog your memory. How realistic is Saving Private Ryan? Yeah, so th this is an interesting question because it depends on what what aspect of war we're talking okay. about. Gotcha. Um, so I think the most significant aspect of war for most people who've been in one was the camaraderie mm -hmm. and the, it's hard to even quantify, but like the banter back and forth that you do when you're just bored out of mm -hmm. your mind and saving private Ryan captures that. Excellent. <laughs> Perfect. Um, as far as the combat, I mean, I, I wasn't in World War yeah. II or anything like that. My, my experience was very different. So I, I would say as far as movies go, Saving Private Ryan is is, is fantastic. Yeah, great, great. Um, <laughs> it's one of my favorites. Yeah. And then as far as documentaries go, though, Restrepo okay. with Sebastian Junger is the one to watch. Mm -hmm. So if you want a good war, a war documentary, I think it might be on Netflix, but I can't remember. Um, if not, just rent it on Amazon. Yeah. It's well worth the three dollars or whatever. <laughs> but Restrepo is phenomenal. It kind of shows the same thing, but it's more of an updated version. Mm -hmm. um, it's you know guys who are 18, 19, 20, 21, and this was filmed in two thousand nine or ten, okay. I think. So it's it's fascinating. Uh, Sebastian Junger is also just a incredibly interesting individual uh his books are are great if you want to understand ptsd and and uh what guys are facing coming home from war check out the book tribe okay um or i think he's he's been on the joe rogan podcast yep. before mm -hmm. if you look at his interview on the joe rogan cool. podcast he's phenomenal all right so, yeah thank man. you for joining us you would, well cool yeah, guys yeah, do a quick plug just like 20 seconds and then we'll okay um subscribe to this youtube channel the podcast channel and we also have a website wiseworksfilms.com and mm -hmm. thanks for joining us on this episode hey thank you andrew yep. yeah hit subscribe and ring the little notification bell <laughs> notification bell we don't ever say that but he makes a good point yeah <laughs> all right see you guys thanks, later andrew. thanks guys